Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, the first topic comes from Clint Lamberson. Hi, John and crew. I just read the Deadline is reporting that Supernatural prequel series is in development with the CW with Jensen and his Denel working on the show. The series, is that his brother? I think his wife. His 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 wife. wife. (laughs) I was like confused. Uh, The series will be the focus uh, focused on John and Mary with Dean narrating the series in the vein of How I Met Your Mother. Love the show. Thanks for being on The Filthy with Holy Water. (laughs) Uh, Well, Clint, uh, I'm glad you uh, like that. Now, John, I got to tell you, I heard this story. I was like, I mean, I always say on my show that in Hollywood, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. But it seems odd to me that you have two actors that work together for 15 seasons. Well, hold on on a second, Rob. You're getting ahead of the story here. Now you're getting ahead of it. Like, that's that's part two of the story, right? Oh, okay. Well, then, okay. You you know what? You're right. (laughs) I won't get into my – let me just say that, yes, there is a supernatural prequel (laughs) series in development. How about that? And I have to say, John, I was I was kind of taken aback by this. You'd think after 15 seasons, an apocalypse that happened in like season four, and then they kept it going for another 11 seasons. This has to be one of the most resilient television shows in history. I think people would want to hang it up and take a long, well-deserved vacation. But oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, John. There's going to be a prequel series about the boys' parents. According to Deadline, here's what we know. Supernatural. One of the most important series in the history of the CW is eyeing a comeback with a new iteration prequel, The Winchesters. And I have to say, that's a pretty good title for a show. It is. Centered on Dean and Sam Winchester's parents. The project, now in development at the network, is executive executive produced by Supernatural star Jensen Ackles, who will also... Reprise his Dean Winchester character as a narrator of the new show and Ackle's wife, supernatural recurring guest star, Daniil. Uh wow, John. I mean, this is this is pretty uh who would have thunk? Like I don't <laughs> I didn't I, I I'm like, wow. But you know what? You you get while the getting's good. So I can't I can't fault anybody for creating a show that's actually gonna get on the air. Let me just say, getting anything made in Hollywood these days is is a is a feat. So congratulations to the to the new crew and cast of this show, and congratulations to, of course, Jensen Ackles. But let's just leave it there. Yes, there's a new Supernatural prequel series. <laughs> well, I mean, how about look, that? You're you're right. It first of all, we sh- I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Like they tried to do two other spinoffs. They tried to do Supernatural: The Wayward Sisters. And then right. there was another spinoff they tried to do, and I cannot remember the name of that spinoff right now. By the way, Taylor Haywood and uh, Hosea XCI are both send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thanks for that, guys. Um, and if you guys in the live chat remember the name of that other spinoff they were going to do, I can't remember. Oh, oh and I got uh, I got Jensen Ackles speaking to me here. I can't remember what the name of it. It was uh, the Wayward Sisters, and there was another one. Bloodlines. Thank you. Devontae Brown is the first person to put that in the live chat. Bloodlines. So they tried to get two other ones done before, and they just weren't able to get them going for whatever reason. I was actually very interested in the Wayward Sisters ones. At any rate, you guys all know I'm a huge Supernatural fan. I I, I loved this show. I watched every single season of it. I even loved the, the final season, all that kind of stuff. 
but there's an interesting twist that Rob, you began to allude to a little bit earlier. There's an interesting yeah. twist to this story because Rob, one of the key elements of success for supernatural has been that there has been this incredible relationship between the show and its audience. And one of the key things of that relationship has been not only the incredible bond between the brothers in the show, but the bond between Padalecki and Ackles off camera. Like they were in each other's wedding parties. Their friendship is like one of the things that the audience really connected with, that they had this great friendship off camera. Rob, as he started to allude to, shortly after Jensen Ackles got on Twitter to announce that they were doing this new Winchester show and he's producing, he's going to be narrating it, his partner in crime, Jared Padalecki, who of course played Sam Winchester, he got on Twitter and replied to Jensen and says, hey man, I'm super happy for you. Let's actually go and see what he actually said. Dude, I'm happy for you, but I wish I heard about this some other way than Twitter. I'm excited to watch, but I'm bummed that Sam Winchester had no involvement whatsoever. Now, a fan then kind of hinted and suggested that that uh, Jensen was joking or that uh, Jared was joking, but he went on to say, no, it's not a joke. This is the first I've heard about this, and I'm gutted. Now, Rob, normally, I don't care about TMZ nonsense. Oh, two stars don't like each other or oh, whatever, but... This is a little bit different because, again, I think one of the core things about the success and the popularity and the resiliency of Supernatural is that connection between the audience and the show. And a part of that connection has been the fact that these guys have at least passed themselves off for the last 15 years as best friends, uh, wedding in each other's wedding parties, all these sort of stuff. And look, let me say this right now. Jared Padalecki has no right to be involved in this project. You know, th th there's it's not like he is owed or he's entitled. He was an actor in the show. He was more involved in that to some degree, but he's not entitled to be a producer or involved in this new show. But to find out that the guy who has done this show with you for 15 years, to discover as a fan that he didn't even know about this until it was tweeted out? Like, I literally, I, it is possible, Rob, here, theoretically, that I found out about this before Jared Padalecki did. And and there's <laughs> there's just something that feels, something that feels dirty about that. And again, under most circumstances, I would say, whatever, this is just TMZ stuff, but it goes to the core that I think of the Supernatural fan base. And if this is not a joke, and if Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ankles aren't just like propagating some kind of joke, which there is still a chance they may be, but if we don't find out that ultimately this is just kind of a gag that they're pulling, it's going to leave, I think, a pretty bad taste in the fans' mouths. And... If it's a bad Rob, you know this. If it's a bad taste in the fa in the fans' mouths, this show is dead before it ever gets going because this entire concept relies on that core fan base. So, I don't know, Rob. Let me ask you this: Like you're reading this, is it possible, given how tight these guys are supposedly are off camera, that this is all just a joke? And if it's not a joke, could this affect the fan base to the degree that it could threaten the show even getting made? I don't know. How do you see it? Well, I, I think 
you know, definitely, if nothing else, there's much money involved producing a TV show. And normally, you know, you would get people that were involved in a show like this uh, get cash. And if it runs as long as the original Supernatural runs, John, we're talking millions of dollars that's potentially at stake here for somebody who is or isn't involved. Either way, they could make millions or not get millions. So it could be that this show was developed and maybe people were just waiting to bring other people in and didn't say anything. And this information wasn't supposed to be released yet, uh, which I could see. I, I could believe that that could be on the on the agenda that, you know, you wait until things are going down. Maybe that it was it was of course we're going to involve I'm going to involve my co-star. I just were not there yet. I was going to bring him in. I've developed this show. And it was his, after all, it was his idea. You solidify your position. And then I think, of course, there might be something going on here and uh, that we don't know about. But like you said, I do think that if we have one of the, the cornerstones of this very franchise, when the other cornerstone creates a brand new show and leaves your other cornerstone out in the cold, that's really not cool for a show that has such audience engagement. Uh, I, I think it could be very damaging to this franchise. And uh, I don't understand. Honestly, I don't understand it, to be and again, honest. The, it's, it's, it's two different things to say. Should Padalecki be involved versus they didn't even give him a heads up that it was happening? And I think yeah, that's going to rub a lot of the fans the wrong way. Now, let me say this too. Let me say this as well. I am also not a fan of how Padalecki managed this. Like, if you've got an issue or a problem with somebody, sack up, pick up the phone, and you call them. I, I, yeah. I It kind of doesn't sit right with me either that Jared Padalecki would decide to air out the dirty laundry in public on Twitter for everybody. Again, which maybe makes me half suspect that maybe this is all a big joke. But And again, I don't know that. But there's so much about this that just rubs me the wrong way. The fact that a guy who was involved in the show for 15 years wasn't even told that it was happening before the public found out. But then that same guy, instead of just picking up a phone and calling somebody, getting on Twitter, which, I, listen, I'll, I'll be straight up with you. That is the weak. That is the weak man's path is hop on Twitter and start airing out the grievances openly. I, I I don't know. It's very disappointing. As a big Supernatural fan, a lot about this is very disappointing, especially when we just should be celebrating, if we're Supernatural fans, at the fact that we're going to get a Supernatural spinoff. This, we, that's what we should be talking about. Instead, we're left right. to talk about this. And again, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed and hope that this is a bit of a joke. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this whole situation? Are you excited that there's a new show, The Winchester's Coming? Are you kind of put off by the fact that Sam and Dean seem to have bad blood now and they're parted away? I mean, I don't know. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Isaac Beebe, who writes, Did you see that Universal just dropped the first official trailer for Halloween Kills? 
I love the original Halloween as well as the 2018 reboot sequel. And this new one looks like it's going to be even bloodier, gorier, and scarier than the last one. And I cannot wait to watch it on opening night uh, and instead wait to watch it in the actual Halloween night of October 31st in theaters like I did for the last one. All right, Isaac, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, it is well known that I do not like the Halloween series of movies. I don't like any of them. I don't think any of them are actually all that good. I, I, I revisit. I know that's sacrilegious to say. I know. But I remember about 10, 12 years ago, I went back to watch the first Halloween again for the first time in forever. And I was like, this doesn't actually hold up very well. But I, I know, I know that's sacrilegious to say. So you can imagine that I wasn't really all that stoked for the new Jamie Lee Curtis one that came out a couple of years ago. But I thought the trailers were good and I watched it. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I loved it. I love this last one. So I've been waiting very, very patiently for this new one to come and come the new one has. This comes to us from the folks at Cinema Blend who writes, the new movie is a direct sequel to David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018, which is itself was made as a direct sequel to John Carpenter's 1978 original. And it looks like Michael Myers is in tip-top shape following everything he went through during his showdown with Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode. In fact, he seems deadlier than ever, as it's pretty crazy just how many people he murders just in the trailer. I can't say I approve of it from a spoiler standpoint, as there are a number of moments I'm most certainly going to remember when I'm watching the film in October, but it definitely raises my anticipation level for the mayhem that it promises. All right, look, I... I could not believe watching this trailer. The body count in the trailer alone was huge. And listen, for all we know, like all of the kills that we see in the trailer could very well happen in the first 10 minutes of the movie. I mean, I, I mean, we just don't know. That, that literally could have all happened just in the setup of the movie and we're just getting a little bit of a taste. I like the fact that it literally picks up the second that the last movie ended. I kind of dig that. And you know, Rob, I remember a lot of people were very we're wondering a lot about the whole philosophy they took of doing the new one as an immediate sequel to the original kind of foregoing and bypassing all the others. But I thought that worked. I thought that ended up being a good plan for them because that series had been run into the ground 15 times over. And so they bring out this new trailer and I, I got to say, guys, I really dug it as now granted, I was already excited for this film. But I thought this trailer delivered exactly what I wanted it to deliver. It has, again, I think the biggest body count I've ever seen in a trailer before. Just the trailer. Oh, alone. yeah. So I liked what I saw, Rob. Now, Rob, you had a chance to check out this trailer. You know, what were your thoughts on the last film that they did? Where's your anticipation level for this? And what did you think about the trailer itself? Okay, let me preface this by saying that <clears throat> the very first pre-recorded video cassette I ever owned when I was 13 years old was the original Halloween. I've probably seen the original Halloween 150 times. I showed it to all my friends because we were too young to see it in the theater. And I love the original Halloween. I liked Halloween 2. I liked Halloween 3. I hated the 2018 Halloween. Wow. I hated it. <laughs> I, I mean, it. <laughs> I, I hated the feel of it. I hated the way it was shot. I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but I just hate, I hated everything about it. I really did. I, I was like, you're I just, that said, <laughs> I watched this trailer and when it was over, I'm like, oh man, I got to see this. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, 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 I laughed aloud. 
I have to say, I mean, we have enough problems in this in the country with our our police forces, people quitting en masse and all that. I'm like, no one's going to want to be a firefighter after this trailer. <laughs> Michael Myers slaughters a whole fire brigade. I'm like, what did firefighters ever do? They saved your life, Michael. And what do you do? You kill them en masse. Um, but I, 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 I don't like you said, I watched this trailer and the amount of gore and implied kills and kills. I'm just like, you kill everybody. You kill an old black woman. Like what? You don't do that in movies like Halloween. <laughs> oh, in this movie they do. You kill firefighters. You kill all these sympathetic people. And it's like, my God, I'm here for that. Michael Myers is a rampaging killing machine and no one is safe, uh, including our first responders, including your grandmother, including everyone. They're all going to die in this movie. And I love the premise that Jamie Lee Curtis says. We're all going to go get you. And the entire town goes on a Myers hunt. I mean, <laughs> come on. I'm like, John, I'm so there for this movie. I I, I, I don't know why. I mean, I looked at this and I I literally, I chuckled with, with perverse glee watching this trailer. I watched it twice. And I was just like, oh, man. I mean, this, this is, this is, I'm here for this. You know, it's not like one person, it's not like Freddy's fighting Jason. Right, this right, is the right. whole town is going after Michael. It's about damn time, too. <laughs> and Mike Myers says, you don't get it. I'm not trapped in this town here with you. You're trapped in this town with me. But you know what they did in this trailer that I thought was really interesting? They address something that's always kind of been a, a curtain hanging over this franchise. There's not supposed to be anything supernatural about Myers. There's not supposed right. to be anything supernatural about him. And I like that in this trailer, they kind of address that where Jamie Lee Curtis goes, look, he's flesh and blood. But every kill he makes, he's ascending. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? But well, I mean, I, dude, I love that. Like you, I, I love that idea because they've had him, you know, in the, in the other Halloween four and five and all he's like some the product of a cult and he's, but the idea that he's gathering power for, it's kind of like in Highlander, you yeah, know, every time yeah. a, a mortal dies, I love the fact that Michael and I'll, I will, I'm willing to bet you that we see with that Ascension, what form will that Ascension take? And I bet we see it in this movie and I'm here for it, dude. I got to tell you, I was like, I'm like, ugh, this movie rises to the top of my must see list. I'm now, in. Now, after you said that, now, if I don't see a quickening happening after every kill he makes, I'm going to be disappointed. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What did you think about this new trailer for Halloween Kills? I thought it was bloody awesome. I, I really did enjoy it a lot. What did you guys think about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, Rob, what is our third main topic today? John, I'm just having too much fun on this show, and this <laughs> next topic will prove to you exactly why. Alan, <laughs> Alan Renshaw says, <laughs> I just saw an article <laughs> that said Jerry Seinfeld will produce, star, and direct a movie at Netflix about, wait for it, the creation of Pop-Tarts. Of course he is. I, I, I like Pop-Tarts. But this just seems unnecessary. What do you think? Well, John, this makes me think back to Michael Keaton's great role as Ray Kroc in The Founder, talking about yes. the founding of, say, a McDonald's. I like that movie quite a bit. But then you find out 
that that's not quite what this movie is. But, you know, I got to tell you, I grew up loving Pop-Tarts. My favorites were cinnamon, by the way. I love cinnamon Pop-Tarts, just so anybody, I'm sure you're anxiously wanting to know that, but there you go. Uh, so this is what we get from MovieWeb. Quote, stuck at home. Stuck at home watching endless sad faces on the TV. I thought this would be a good time to make something based on pure silliness, Seinfeld said of the deal while confirming the project to Deadline. So we took my Pop-Tart stand-up bit. So this actually is derived from his stand-up. One of his best. From my last Netflix special and exploded it into a giant, crazy comedy movie. Over the past several days, unfrosted. Okay, come on. That's a, That's great, a great title. title. That is a great Unf title for this. It's a great title. Unfrosted had been quietly shopped to potential buyers. It was Seinfeld's relationship with Ted Sarandos of course it was, at Netflix that helped swing the deal in that direction as Jerry had previously signed a lucrative deal at Netflix in 2017. John, come on. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to make a comedy, the, the, don't forget, I mean, the Coen brothers made the Hudsucker Proxy, which is about the creation of the hula hoop. Yeah, And I love that movie. I think Jerry Seinfeld making a movie about the creation of Pop-Tarts called Unfrosted comedy gold right there i i think it could be very very funny depending on what direction they take it i mean it's absurd it, it could be it could actually have heartwarming heartwarming pathos because we all know it ended well <laughs> frost pop tarts are still around they're around when i was a kid they've been around for 50 <laughs> years it's one of the great american success stories john it is so who wouldn't want to see this come on you got to be excited for this movie right i'm not gonna lie i am i, I okay first of all <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld coming back in. He's he's one look, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that you may want to put him on a top 20 list of maybe the greatest entertainers of all time. And and I say sure. that without any facetiousness. He could be a top 20 greatest entertainer ever. And and so I really do kind of put him on that list. By the way, his coffee and cars with comedians thing he does, yeah. so funny. Like I've I've always enjoyed that stuff. But listen, it there. He's combining, I read a little bit more on it, so he's going to combine the, basically the elements of his stand-up stuff with Pop-Tarts, which you can find on YouTube and you should watch because it's hilarious. But he's also combining with some of the true stuff that go, went on behind the scenes with the creation of Pop-Tarts. And listen, that may sound silly, but you never know what the drama that went on behind the scenes of getting that done. Rob, do you remember not too long ago, the story came out that they're working on the origin, the movie that's the origin story of how the Flaming Hot Cheetos came to be and it, i mean that sounds silly but then when you actually read about the history and how it came about it's actually kind of fascinating so this could be one part hilarious because of you know just because of jerry seinfeld it could also be really really fascinating depending on what is the actual story behind it and what is the drama that led certain individuals to make this come about but uh, aside from that as well you know, I've watched some Seinfeld stuff lately, and this dude, he hasn't lost it. He hasn't, he's, he right. still completely has it. And I think the guy is just unbelievably funny. So I think you take all that and put it together. Look, obviously, is this odd? Of course it's odd. Of course we look at that story and that headline and go, wait a minute, Jerry Seinfeld to star and produce a Pop-Tart movie and direct. Of course it's odd, but I think... There's a lot of potential upside here, and this could be kind of special. The only thing that 
you know, makes me wonder a little bit is it is a direct to Netflix. But other than that, I'm actually kind of interested in this question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I think there there's more to be excited here than we're giving it credit for. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? A Jerry Seinfeld Pop-Tart movie. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's on move on, I should say, to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Griffin Tatum. I wonder if there's any relation to Channing, who writes in, We just got a new Shang-Chi trailer with a lot of great surprises. We got our first glimpse at the dragon and the film, Abomination, and more. Judging by the tweet you made, I assume you enjoyed it. Uh, But I am curious what you thought about the trailer and whether this has gotten you even more excited to see the film. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And of course, we were expecting it. Disney had put out the word that during the NBA playoffs last night, they were going to drop a new Shang-Chi trailer. So we were expecting it and, and it came. And my general thoughts on it, I put out a tweet that just basically said, F yes. I'm not going to lie. I liked the last Shang-Chi trailer. I liked liked it quite a bit. I loved this trailer. I loved this trailer. If for no other reason, and there are many reasons to love this trailer, but you guys know for years... I have been waiting and counting down the minutes for the MCU to bring Abomination back. Of course, in I'll refer to it as my Hulk movie. Uh, in, of course, because in my Hulk movie, he is captured at the end. Hulk knocks him out and they capture him. They've made references in the MCU once or twice that he has been held on the raft. By the way, Donaldo Martinez sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donaldo. He's been held on the raft. He is such a great foil in the MCU because this is a creature that can go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. Now, of course, we've been hearing that he's coming back. uh, He's going to be making an appearance in She-Hulk, which is great. But, Rob, when I'm watching this trailer and I see this frame and I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What did I just see? Hold up. And I frame by frame backwards and I'm like, Anne, Anne, come in here. And she's like, what? What? She comes running in from her office. I'm like, it's abomination. She's like, you called me in here for that. But, but honey, it's abomination. <laughs> Don't you? How are you not? Why are you not nowhere worked up about this, baby? And she just looks at me. Anyway, abomination is back. And we if, I may or may not be wrong, but I think that's Wong. He's fighting in there. I could be wrong about that. And maybe Wong, it may not be Wong. Uh, we'll find out. But if it is Wong, I'm a big fan of Wong. I love this guy. So I if this is a fight going on between Abomination and Wong, I'm all for it. But, dude, uh, th- that aside, okay? E- that aside, the Abomination aspect aside, the dragon, getting to see the rings in action, hearing, like, that one line between the father and son, I told them they wouldn't be able to kill you. I'm glad to see I was right. That's a little disconcerting to hear as a son, <laughs> Like you wanted to find out if they could kill me. <laughs> I, I listen, I liked the last trailer. I loved this trailer. I cannot wait 
to get to a theater to watch this damn thing. Ra, I, I watched it. I was over the moon. I rewind it. I watched it again and again and again. And even if you took Abomination out of it, I'm still super excited about it. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to check out this trailer. What did you think about it? Okay. First of all, John, you know that I have great undying love for Tony Leung, who is playing Shang-Chi's dad yes. in this movie. I didn't know how much of him there was going to be in it. Come on. This trailer, for me, as much as it's about Shang-Chi, this movie is about the Mandarin. This is about Tony Leung. And he was so good in this trailer. I was so excited. And then, uh, first of all, this movie, I think it looks fantastic. Now, you might have loved The Abomination. When I when that dragon showed up, now, there's a couple of oh, people yeah. that are that are saying the dragon is Sholali uh, und uh, Undying. But as people who know their Marvel history know, uh, that's a character that's more tied to Kunlun and Iron Fist. That dragon is is what is on Iron Fist's chest. And as other people know that you know your Marvel history, the Ten Rings are their power is an extraterrestrial power. Yes, yes, and uh, they are tied to Fin Fang Foom. Now I know people are like, well, Rob, it was reported that Fin Fang Foom is not in this movie. Well, that might be very true, but I'm thinking, bruh, come on. They're not going to – you can't bring the dragon. I mean, I know Kun Loon maybe, unless Iron Fist is somehow in this movie, Fin Fang Foom ties right back in to the Shang-Chi mythology. I mean, he is an alien, a shape-shifting alien. And I – I mean, and it has ties to the Mandarin. I'm thinking that is Fin Fang Foom. And if it is, the, my first thought was John Schnepp would have lost his mind. Yeah. And uh, I I was just I squealed and I took a frame grab of it and I had to put it on twin I, I said Fin Fang Mother F and Foom <laughs> and I had to tweet the picture because I was so excited. I mean I'm I'm like, this is why people are like, well, you know, Rob, why are you always so excited for the Marvel Universe? It's getting so woke. And I'm like, no, no, no. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe because everybody who's working there is going back to the comic book mythology. They might change it around, but they're, they're, I, I mean, they're doing, they're going back to the origins of this stuff. They're not going, well, we're going to change it. They're going back and they're inspired by the very thing that they're adapting. And sure, they have to update it and adapt it. But my God, to see a giant dragon and the abomination and like all the fighting and the ninjas. And I, I'm like, dude, between the Snake Eyes trailer and Shang-Chi, I'm like, my, <laughs> My ninja fix is going to be itched, man. I'm like, where, 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 where you know, Show Kazuki's been gone for so long. Where are those canon? Where's Michael Dudikoff and Steve James and American Ninja? Well, I'll tell you, they're in Snake Eyes and Shang-Chi because we're getting two movies with ninjas in them and martial arts. And I'm like, Elizabeth's like, she was watching this trailer this morning and she's like, what, what's going on here? What, they just decided to make a bunch of martial arts movies? And I'm like, God bless the world. Yes, they did. And we're getting them. And it's been too damn long, John. Bring on the ninjas. Yep. Listen, I'll tell you the other thing that really gets me about that is you also see in this trailer the overall strategy and planning of a Kevin Feige. Because that trailer that we just got for Shang-Chi, not only is it bombastic and great, but Kevin Feige and his whole team seem to understand, okay, you know, we go from a, a very different kind of show in WandaVision. 
where every week is speculations and theories and blah, blah, blah. And it's a, it's a story that's unraveling. Then we go into Captain America and the Winter Soldier, a little bit more action-centric. Then we jump over into Loki, not action-heavy. It's more character-centric and all that kind of stuff. And so Kevin Feige immediately punches it, hits the gears, and puts out a trailer like this that is heavy on action, heavy on the sci-fi element, heavy on the holy WTF moments with the dragon, with Abomination, with Wong, if it's that's Wong. So he knows, and and they're smart enough to not always do that because we'll get tired of it. We'll get fatigued of it real quick if that's all they ever did. But they know how to switch gears so beautifully and so perfectly, and this trailer just nailed it for me. It absolutely nailed it for me. The question is for you guys. What did you think of the Shang-Chi trailer? I thought it was fantastic. Rob really loved it. What did you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, Dude, ninjas. Ninjas. What more do you need ninjas. in life? Ninjas and That's pop-tarts. all you need. Ninjas and Pop-Tarts, and you're set. All right, guys, listen. We're now going to move on to taking your live comments and questions uh, that you guys have already started setting in, so let's not waste any time and jump right over to it, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with NCK, who writes, To say people who didn't like Cavill Superman that they didn't like him because they had preconceived ideas about the character, well, let's, let's just be clear about that. I never make excuses about why other people do or do not like something. I've only ever pointed out that a lot of people didn't like this Superman because he wasn't like Christopher Reeve Superman because I have heard them directly say that. Like, all you have to do is go and read the articles. And they actually directly say that. But anyway, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, anyway, because he had a preconceived ideas about what the character uh, is a right but insufficient analysis, I think. Not to mention they can only have uh, expectations when it comes to such an IP. One of seven. All right. Uh, no one criticized Snyder for modernizing Superman. Yes, they did. <laughs> Snyder got a lot of criticism for modernizing Superman. Anyway, in the same way that no one criticizes Superman and Lois for doing it, you can modernize the character the same way Marvel did with Cap. So the problem is elsewhere. It's a philosophical issue. Uh, when I go to see a Batman movie, I know I'm going to observe a silent, violent, and, in, and, and intentionally boring guy. Uh, that's... That may be your take on it, NCK, but Batman has been through many, many, many different iterations, many, many different personality types, many, many di different types of dispositions over the years. And maybe you go in expecting that, but not everybody does. Anyway, uh, he's a unique character defending a particular philosophy with a disturbing way of life. I know I'm not going to see him learn salsa. Uh, well, depending on if you're watching Adam West, right? Adam West could do that. Uh, it's a given for Bat, so why should we put aside what we know about Supes? He's traditionally a warm, caring, and inspiring guy who upholds an optimistic philosophy. He can be sad or angry like anyone, but at the heart of the character remains uh, that one optimism experienced as a discipline. Uh, the never-ending battle against temptation, really adult and timeless topics in my opinion, and they get thicker when applied to a Kansas-raised demigod who smiles at us in part because he's convinced that we need that. Uh, cynical and unimaginative people say DC heroes are meant to reflect our reality. I would rather say that they were created to act on their, their world in a way that inspires us when we act on ours. And as part of the entertainment, people need that. So why should more people have accept an introverted, distant, and impulsive Clark? 
because being a 35-year-old teenager is cooler than being a father figure nowadays in the West, or is it just laziness because Superman deep speeches take too much effort? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for putting in your thoughts so well laid out. I, I appreciate you putting that in, NCK. However, I do want to give you a little bit of pushback on a couple of points. Number one, even in the comics themselves, as you go through the different eras, and of course, because Superman has been around for so many decades, as you go through the eras, Superman has been portrayed different ways at different times. And depending on when you read Superman or look at him, there are differences and changes. But my big pushback is this. The Superman you talk about is the Superman that has been Superman for a while. You're talking about the Superman that a lot of people think about and whatever, because that's the Superman that has been that way for a long time. When you go to something like Man of Steel, you're looking at a character. We, we, we meet Kal-El, we meet Clark in Man of Steel when he has no idea who or what he is. And the, the fact that if you had a child, a child growing up in a world where he realized he's completely different from everybody else, which is already very difficult for any child, let alone one born on another planet, but realizing they are so fundamentally different from everyone, finding out that his parents aren't even his own, that his parents are alien beings at some point. He has no idea why he's here. He doesn't know why he can do what he can do. He doesn't even know the extent of doing knowing what he can do. And he's given a mission by his father that, look, you got to figure all this stuff out. And when we meet Clark in Man of Steel, this is still a dude who doesn't know his identity. He's confused. He has a very, very solid moral compass. I mean, we see that immediately. This young Clark, even at that age, had an absolute uncompromising moral North Star, and he never moved from that. And that's as Superman as it gets. But we also find him in the midst of even just trying to figure out who he was and what he is. And I, for one, who have been a big Superman fan my entire life, I loved that they took a little bit more of a realistic approach, that Zack Snyder said, look, if a real kid did crash into our world today and he faced the things that this young Clark had to face, how would he respond to that? How would he overcome that? How would he navigate that? And everybody keeps forgetting, Rob, that this Clark we're meeting is a Clark who is just figuring this out, whereas the Superman that a lot of people have in their heads is the guy who had been Superman for 10, 15, 20 years already. And I loved it on that reason. I think it gives more depth to the mythos of Superman. I think it makes it feel more attainable for us mortals, having it being a little bit more grounded like that. And we start to see him evolve over the course of the movies. But anyway, listen, didn't work for you, and I respect that. I do. I respect everything you wrote, but I disagree personally because of that. Anyway, Rob, you know, NCK just really laid out his point of view on this really, really well. But how would you respond to what he was saying here? Well, look, you and I have been defending Man of Steel since it came out. And what I find really interesting about a lot of the criticisms of the film, like you you astutely pointed out, is that people don't seem to be criticizing the movie and the story that was being told. They're criticizing the movie and story that wasn't told. 
right? Which is the the more traditional uh, look at Superman. And I find it sort of interesting because Christopher Nolan's take on on Batman, when you actually see how Batman became Batman, was very much based in the real world. He was using military tech that that Wayne uh, Wayne Industries or Wayne Corp or whatever was developing for the military. Their Black Ops, the Lucius Fox division of of Wayne Industries was making. You know, whether it was climbing or, or materials or stealth materials, he was applying that to what he wanted to do as a crime fighter. And I thought that was all really interesting. And the take on Man of Steel was kind of the same way. And everybody was looking for the the man who believed in truth, justice, and the American way when that wasn't – there. Superman didn't exist yet. You know, we're watching a Man of Steel where there was no Superboy yeah, he did as a teenager rescue his classmates, but he was, didn't have adventures as Superboy. He didn't go into the 30th century and help found the Legion of Superheroes or have Crypto the Superdog. There was none of that. You know, he was trying to figure out who he was. And even as a young man in his 20s and early 30s, he was wandering the earth trying to figure out who he was. This was certainly not the traditional Superman that we've come to know and love in the pages of the comics or even in the Christopher Reeve version of Superman. And I find it strange, like everybody's, Still, well, it's not he kills people and this, that and the other thing. And Superman would never do this. And he wouldn't let his father die and this. But I'm like, but but that's not what. Yes, all those things are true. But in this particular movie, the portrayal of of what the it's called Man of Steel. It's not called Superman. Man of Steel. That's exactly what he is and what it means. He's trying to find himself. And, I, and that's why I like the movie. Because it was a, a science fiction first contact tale about a man out of time and out of space who was trying to figure out who he was. And he becomes uh, what he becomes a character that will later become Superman. But he's not the traditional Superman at any point in this film. And that's why I liked it. The, and it was a different approach. And, you know, people celebrate when Joker's been approached completely differently three different times. and But... Here's the interesting thing. I find a lot of people, um, and this has just been my experience, yours may be different, who will bag on Man of Steel, say, well, that's not how Superman acts. That's not how Superman acts. They'll all say they love Superman too, but never in the movies has a movie Superman acted more un-Superman-like than in Superman 2. And I love that movie. I do. But in Superman 2, and the people will defend it to the ears, but in Superman 2, how does that movie end, Rob? It ends with Clark, Superman, out of bitterness, spite, and vengeance, going back to that <laughs> truck stop for no other reason than to beat up a helpless mortal. And it was motivated by nothing but spite, his pride, and a desire to have some revenge. And, and that's the most un-Superman thing I've ever seen a Superman character do in any TV show or movie. Now, I'm not bashing on Superman 2. I love Superman 2. I love that movie. But it's just like, yeah, it's, you know, like it's convenient what things you overlook. But anyway, that's just, that's just, anyway, NCK, again, not many people like so clearly lay out their thoughts the way you did i appreciate the way that you did that so thank you for sharing your point of view on that man i appreciate that whether we agree or disagree i appreciate hearing your point of view so thanks for sharing it man all right bk dan writes 
John and crew, did you guys see or hear that Warner Brothers is in production of a reboot of the late 80s, early 90s comedy Night Court? Yeah, we talked about this a couple of months ago. Uh, Looking like it'll go straight to HBO Max, according to their Twitter post from May 29th and 30th. Actually, I thought it was going to Peacock. I don't know, HBO Max or Peacock. Rob, you and I did talk about this, and I believe the the main character, of course, the guy who played Harry the lead, you know, the, the judge in uh, the original Night Court show, uh, he passed away a few years ago. So the character, the main character in this show is supposed to be Harry's daughter. But you can't do this show unless you have Dan Fielding. And John Larroquette is coming back to be in this show, which just makes it for me. I love John Larroquette. Um, so, yeah, but this is this is a few months old, this news, but I'm looking forward to seeing if it turns out well. Rob, how are you? Are you got any excitement? You got any expectations for this Night Court uh, relaunch? Well, Night Court is actually a, a sitcom that I did see episodes of, and I always kind of liked it. As a matter of fact, when I made my first movie, my director of photography was the director of photography on Night Court. Obviously, a different really? kind of photography, but yeah, and uh, I like that show, and I I like the characters, and I've always liked John Larroquette. I mean, from the time he actually narrates the opening of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he played a Klingon in Star Trek Three. When Kirk says, when he says, uh, Malt, he says, "I do not deserve to live," and Kirk <laughs> says, "Fine, I'll kill you later." I love John Larroquette, and I think he's a great performer, and it's cool to see him coming back to uh, to TV. It's cool, I, I like it. All right, next up, we've got Chuck the Mystery who writes, Hey, John and Rob, if there, and he is here, one of two. I binged two shows in the last few weeks that you guys had mentioned, which lasted only one season, and I love them. Awake and The Event. Awake was so engaging, and the story was genius. Do you recall having any theories about where the story could have been going back when you were watching it? I looked for interviews with the showrunner to see if they could glean any details, but no luck. Same question for Rob about The Event, if he's there. Thanks, And for the great recommendations. Yeah, as far as Awake goes, I had no idea where they were going to go with that. I really didn't. This cop waking up in one reality, falling asleep and waking up in a different one, and then hopscotching back and forth between those two realities every time he would fall asleep and wake up was amazing. But the show, Rob, never gave the slightest hint of what was actually causing it. And as the... The finale of season one happened as he's walking through a door where we're finally going to get some answers. Season one ends and then it got canceled and we never found anything else. So I never had any theories, Rob, about where Awake was going to go. I never watched the event. Like I, I'm familiar with the show. I never watched it. Did you have any theories about where where did you think that show was going to be going? Where Awake was going? No, the event. Or whether. Oh, I watched all of the event. Yeah. <laughs> but where but did I you think it was say, going? I'm like. I didn't think it was going well. I, I didn't know when I was watching it, but as you watched, you kind of got the idea. And I have to say, dude, the last episode of the event ended on what I would say was a massive cliffhanger. But the problem with these shows is they string this mystery out so long, it gets kind of annoying. Knowing what I know now about the event, I wish what happened at the end of the event happened halfway through the season and we got to see the aftermath of what happened when this thing occurred. But we don't. We're not. And it's a bummer. But, I mean, if you watch the first episode of the event and the last episode of the event, that's all you got to (laughs) know. I think it's on Hulu now or something. But it's kind of worth it because what ends up happening at the end of the event, I, I mean, I was like, oh, 
that's cool. Now what? Canceled. Yep. <laughs> that's what. You're All canceled. right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Colby Harris who writes, what is your most anticipated Star Wars project that was announced? Movie-wise, for me, it's the Kevin Feige-produced Star Wars series. Uh, it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. I am very interested to see how the Acolyte turns out. Well, listen, I've said this before. Out of all movies or TV shows that have been announced, the thing I am most intrigued by is the Acolyte. Uh, the whole notion of going into an area they've never really gone into before, that I find absolutely fascinating. And as far as the, so that'll be, cause that's a series. I believe, I believe the acolyte is going to be a Disney plus series. As far as the movie side go, I think it's still got to be rogue squadron for me. Now, listen, it may become the Kevin Feige one. Once I know what it's going to be right now, we don't really know anything about it at all, but a top gun in star Wars. Come on. I mean, what's not to love about that? So I would say the Acolyte and Rogue Squadron. Rob, what would you say is out of the, uh, you know, all the upcoming Star Wars stuff that we know is coming is the stuff you're looking forward to the most? I'm most lo if looking forward to the Obi-Wan series. I mean, I, I, I love that they're bringing back Ewan McGregor. I, I, I think we'll be getting flashbacks to the Clone Wars. I, I, I just, I'm over the moon about it. And, um, I don't know. Maybe that makes me unold, but I'm looking forward to it, dude. I mean, bring it on. And uh, I, I kind of want to see the Ahsoka Tano series because maybe if the whole thing is they're going to try and take back Mandalore, that just appeals to me. Yeah, that so, could be a lot of fun. I'm, yeah, I'm in. And give me an excuse to see Rosario Dawson on screen. All right. Next up, we got Matthew DeFrentis writes. Two weeks ago, I went to my AMC dine-in to experience Raiders of the Lost Ark in theaters for the first time. Nice. I left wowed. The movie is a reminder of why the theater viewing experience is so important. Example, Indy's reveal after using the whip in the beginning. Whoa. Yeah, dude, listen, I still remember the first time I saw Indiana Jones on the big screen. They were doing it at uh, a theater in L.A. This is during the early years of me living in L.A. And a local theater was playing all the Indiana Jones films on the big screen. I had never seen Raiders on the big screen. And watching it you know, right from the Paramount Mountain disappearing and fading to the mountain in the background. Only seeing the back of Indy's head until the reveal. The totem, the boulder. I mean, that movie started off with such a bang. And it never took its foot off the gas. What a great big screen experience. And I remember mine as too, Matthew. I'm glad you're able to have that, man. All right, next up. Charles Grinstaff writes, Reports were saying that Loki was the first gender-fluid character in the MCU. And the episode said did not imply otherwise as for the Avengers was meant to happen is because it is the timeline that the time masters come from. Uh, it is good because they win. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not quite following your train of consciousness there, Charles, but I don't know. I don't think that the timeline, it, it, the way they described it at the beginning of the show was that, they didn't eliminate all the other timelines and just pick one to be the surviving timeline. It sounded like they kind of merged everything into one timeline and that became the sacred timeline and that everything happens that the Avengers do is what's supposed to happen. Obviously, whenever you have time travel or stuff like that in any movie project, there's always going to be loopholes and there's always going to be plot holes and some logic problems throughout the way. And Loki is no different. 
course, we're coming off of episode three. That was my least favorite episode so far, but I'm looking forward to episode four. So we'll see where they go with that, Charles. All right, next up, redo of a recommendation. Oh my God, regarding a recent anime recommendation on your companion video, please people do not watch Redo of a Healer. It's basically hentai, which I acknowledge is art. I've got 14,605 other anime recommendations, but that is not one. Yeah, I remember somebody a little while ago recommending a Redo of a Healer. It sounded interesting. I, I'm not a big anime guy myself. I basically limit myself to the classics that they have, but I'm not a huge anime guy, so I haven't seen that one, but it sounds like maybe it's one we should avoid. So thank you for putting that in there, man. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, John, which is more likely, Cena and The Rock meeting up in Hobbs and Shaw sequel or Black Adam meeting up with Peacemaker in the DC universe? That's an interesting question, Rob. Uh, I I will say this. My guess would be Cena. I don't think either will happen, just to be open. I don't think either will happen. But I definitely think it's a higher chance that it's in the Fast series for two reasons. One, what would be the point of having Peacemaker fighting Black Adam? That That's a fight that lasts two seconds. Black Adam grabs Peacemaker, rips him in half, and then it's done. Uh, but the other is that you know, it, there's been a lot of talk that Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel have patched up their relationship, according to whispers, that they've they've kind of reconciled their relationship, which, of course, opens the door for Dwayne Johnson to appear in Fast 10. And I don't think there's any reason to not think John Cena is going to be in Fast 10. So I actually think there's a pretty good chance that happens. So I will take the Fast series has the better chance of seeing the Cena and the Rock there rather than the DC Universe part. Rob, which one do you think has the higher chance? <sighs> I, well, I think we have to we have to see where the Peacemaker series goes. It has to be, uh, it has to make money. It has to be popular. Uh, again, you know, we've talked about John Cena as a leading man so far, and uh, I think The Rock is going to wait and see. So I okay. don't think that's going to happen. All right, you know, I, I don't I, think you might that. be right. All right, next up, uh, Jesse writes, "Hey, John, have you seen the latest Superman and Lois yet?" I didn't know there was another one. Uh, it's the flashback episode. I have some thoughts after watching it, but before I write them, I wanted to make sure you've seen it first. I thought episode 10 was the season finale. Was there, guys in the live chat, was there an episode 11? Because I was under the impression that episode, that uh, Superman and Lois season one was only 10 episodes. So I thought when I saw episode 10 uh, that that was it. But Anch Banka is saying in the uh, live chat that yes, there's 11. All right, and a bunch of you guys are writing there saying, yes, there's an 11. Oh, some are saying there's even 12. Some are saying there's 15. Okay, well, that's it. I, I thought the season was over. I thought Superman... So, no, since I didn't even think there was any, um, another episode, I'm going to have to go and watch it. So, no, I have not seen it yet, but I will keep my eyes open for it, Jesse. Thanks for keeping that on my radar, man. All right, next up. Uh, BK Dan writes, John, you mentioned about your casino trip and talked about being up 22 to 24. No, no, no. That's 32 to 34 uh, that I finished up uh, for the weekend. When Rob heard that, he literally did the math on how many hot toys that would buy. LOL. Hashtag can't be a casino. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Rob. I, I remember I won that money and I'm like, OK, so this is now found money. What do I do with it? 
and there was an Apple store, like uh, the the at Caesars Resort. There's a big shopping, huge, magnificent shopping area called the Forum, and there's a Mac store in there. Maybe I just walk in there and buy myself the new iMac, and I didn't, because I don't need an iMac right now, or. Maybe I buy this or, but I'll tell you what, Rob, if there had been like a, a sideshow store in the forum, I probably would have walked out with a couple of figures. I'm not going to lie. There yes. probably would have been a couple of figures I probably would have bought if My I could man. actually drop down actual cash and buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably doing that. I'm probably doing Come that. Come on, but, uh, <laughs> Do it. Do it now. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see. All That's right. The internet for us, John. It's only a click away. Sideshow's only a click away. Uh, but then I feel like I'm using my credit card instead of just the cash, the found money in my wallet. You know what I mean? It's a mental thing. I got to be able to walk in there and drop down cash. By the way, BK Dan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, BK. Appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Mischievous Gremlin who writes, Hey, John, I just feel like they should save Dr. Doom for a sequel. Give the fans something to look forward to. Many times you have one of uh, one of a hero's main rivals being in the first movie uh, where he should have been built up. For example, Red Skull and Greed Goblin. I disagree completely. I completely disagree because I thought Red Skull in that first Captain America, the first Avenger was awesome. I loved him in that. I, I and I and it's one of the reasons. See, here's the predicament you're in, mischievous gremlin. There is no movie two unless movie one hits. If movie one doesn't hit, there is no movie two. And here's the other thing. If movie one is great, people are going to look forward to movie two regardless. Like if, if you can, I'm not saying they're going to come out of the gate with Dr. Doom, nor am I saying they have to come out of the gate with Dr. Doom. I'm not, they could, they could totally go a different way, but I don't think they need to not have him either. And if they do use them in the first one, and if the movie's great and people enjoy it, people are going to look forward to the second one, not because Dr. Doom is in it, because let's face it, 85% of the movie-going audience doesn't care about Dr. Doom. I mean, I, I mean, I know that sounds sacrilegious, Rob, to say in our circles, but the reality is 85% of all the moviegoers in America don't care who Dr. Doom is. They just don't. So if you can come out of the gate strong with Dr. Doom, and people love the first movie, they're going to want to come to the second one regardless. They're not going to go, oh, that's the villain? I'm not interested. No, if they like the movie, they're going to come back, I think. I, I don't think that's a big problem. Just like after the first Captain America, when you went to Winter Soldier, nobody knows Winter Soldier. Nobody knows who Winter Soldier is in the average movie-going audience. Did that stop them from wanting to go out and see it? Not at all. I don't know, Rob, how would you address that? Do you, do you, think, there's, do you think there's either A, a need to have him in the first one or a need to not have him in there or does it matter? How would you approach it? Well, you know, the thing about Dr. Doom is Dr. Doom is such a big figure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I kind of feel that he's a character that needs to be built up over the course of multiple films. And, you know, the way they've tried to do it in the past, we've seen, well, Dr. Doom's the only villain they can seem to come up with. I think you could do a Fantastic Four film that would be tremendous that doesn't have Doctor Doom in it, and you could just che uh, tease the rise of that character. But I'm saying, how do but, you how you know, do you the, build him up if he's not in it at all? Like like how like doesn't he have to be in it in order to build him? Well, up? Well, I mean, I, I think he could be, but I I would I would introduce Doctor Doom in a in the way they did like Black Panther, you know, introduce him in another movie 
where maybe he's already the leader of, of, of Latveria or whatever, you know, and, and you don't have to see necessarily his origin, uh, whereas he, he, he comes in later. I mean, it's always like, well, we're making a Fantastic Four movie, so Doctor Doom has to be the villain. And I, I, I think you could do a, fanta- a great Fantastic Four MCU origin story and only tease Doctor Doom because he's a character that deserves to be fully fleshed out, I think. You know so what's I would the, introduce him, uh, maybe introduce him as a political leader in a different film. Maybe like in in the new Black Panther. Maybe maybe you have a, a scene where where you meet Victor Von Doom and he's he's got that his country has an embassy in Wakanda. You know, and you you set him up. I I don't know. See, I don't think they need to do it either way. I think either way is fine. But like one of the things Ryan Reynolds's Green Lantern movie did well, I think but they botched it with the post credit scene is Sinestro wasn't the big villain in the first film. There was no right. second. That, that just proves there was no second because the first one didn't hit, but they had Sinestro in the movie. You got to meet Sinestro. You got to know Sinestro, but he wasn't the foil. He wasn't the big villain. And then they had that terrible post credit scene. Oh, I'm Sinestro. I'm a good guy. Oh, look, a yellow ring. I'm evil now. Like that was so bad but the idea of it so i like the idea if you're gonna do a fantastic four movie of having victor in the movie because him and reed are supposed to go back a ways so have victor in the movie and but don't have him either as dr doom yet and that can be something that happens later that's that's something where you can give his character an arc and give him some character development maybe so i don't know look either way i'm fine if you make a great movie with him as the villain in the first one, great. If you save him till the second or third movie, great. If you have him in the first movie, but he's not the big villain until the second movie, great. As end of the day, all I care about is if they make a great movie. And it doesn't matter what for- formula they follow. All right. Anyway, guys, next up. Uh, and Andy Anthony writes, hey, John. I just wanted to ask what your favorite movie score soundtrack is. I have to say some of my favorites are Captain America, The Winter Soldier by Henry Jackman, Star Wars New Hope by John Williams, and Back to the Future by Alan Silvestri. Thanks. For me, the definitive one, Rob, I know you're going to have a bunch, but for me, my definitive one is I like all of the Star Wars soundtrack, but the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack is probably my all-time favorite. Very, very close to that, though, would be all of the Lord of the Rings score by um, uh, Shore. Shore's Lord of the Rings score to me is just breathtaking. I can hear just a few notes of it, and my mind and imagination is immediately whisked away to the Shire. I, I, I just love it. Rob, I know you're a big soundtrack guy. What would you say is maybe your top one? Oh my God, John, that's so hard for me to, to say, but like you, I mean, the star Wars soundtrack was what got me. The original star Wars soundtrack was what got me listening to soundtracks, but I have to say, I think probably, and I, you know, star Wars empire in a class by themselves. But for me, the soundtrack that most delighted me that I was most worried about that became one of my favorite soundtracks of all time was Jerry Goldsmith's score for star Trek, the motion picture. Mm. Because, you know, when I was a kid, Star Trek was my religion. And when it was coming back, the idea that it was coming back, I can't impart to people how strange it was to think that they've spent $44 million on a movie where they're bringing back TV stars from a failed TV show that only ran three seasons. 
on a network and then got canceled. And then they're spending, it was one of the most expensive movies of all time. And Jerry Goldsmith's going to do new music. And of course the theme was so iconic and I knew they weren't going to use it except in little snippets. When I took that album home, cause I had the album before the movie came out and I played it. I was, I, I was in heaven. I, it was so, it was weird. The, the mysterious V'ger music, the Klingon attack music. I, I was like, this was Star Wars, yet it was something else, and it was Star Trek, and I just like it. It changed my life. It it gave me faith uh, in, in the future, and I think the Star Trek the motion picture soundtrack is my favorite soundtrack of all time. All right, it's a good one. All right, next up, uh, BK Dan writes, John, conversation starter with Disney Plus, just over a year and a half old. Question. What was your first watch on it? Mine was bed knobs and broomsticks. If I'm not mistaken, I I think the first time I actually, I mean, I think I cracked it on and, and looked through the library, but I, I think I, the very first thing I watched was Mandalorian episode one. I think that was the first thing that I watched on Disney plus Rob, what about you? Gosh, I, I don't know, man. I, I think probably like you, I, I mean, I, again, I just get reminded of the 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 riches that we are getting yeah. these days, John. Yeah. I mean, we're getting I, I I'm constantly blown away by the quality and the the kind of programming that we're getting. And we're just getting more and more all the time. Yeah. It's it's I mean, and they're heading in a good direction, especially I love what they're doing with Loki, the last episode notwithstanding. I, of course. I mean, I dude, and you know, you know, John. Moon Knight. It's coming. Come on. Moon Knight's coming. I, I can't now. believe it, John. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. All right. Next up, we got Andy Anthony who writes, also, I was, uh, yeah, that was BK. Also, I was sorry to hear about your time at Disneyland. Me too, buddy. Uh, I went opening weekend and had a similar experience. I couldn't get either boarding passes, but I had already gone on Rise of the Resistance twice, but felt ripped off with the Spider-Man ride. Dude, I've, I won't go into it all again. You guys have heard me bellyache about it enough. Uh, yeah, it's really an unfortunate. Thank you for your sympathies, though, Anthony. I appreciate it, brother. All right, BK Dan also writes, John, regarding the scene where Vin pulls the roof down, he was Groot all the time, a la Agatha. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, there's a there's a clip of it in the trailer, but there's literally a scene in Fast 9 where Dominic Toretto is literally fighting 20 or 30 soldiers by himself, and he's killing a lot of them. And just as the 20 or 30 guys start to get the upper hand on him, he literally grabs these giant chains and literally pulls the entire structure down, the entire stone and steel structure down because he's Dominic Toretto and can do that. That's uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, next up, the facility guy writes one of five. Okay, buckle in. Three years ago, John Schnepp was at a con here. Um, was at a con here in Columbus. I spent all three days talking to him. We discussed everything from politics to his favorite subject, Holly. He was great. We debated Spawn. He thought it was fine for McFarland to direct it. I did not. One of the one of the things John Schnepp might have been wrong about. Um, I had bought some merch from him a year earlier at San Diego Comic-Con. And on Sunday, he gave me a signed copy of Motley Crue number one, which, of course, he was very proud of, uh, which was awesome. My last words to him were, see you next month in San Diego. Of course, that never came to be. Uh, at mm. San Diego Comic-Con, I stopped you on the floor during preview night, and we discussed as many things uh, as I could get into five minutes. Well, it was ten minutes. When we talked about Schnepp, 
The look on your face said it all. I knew he was long for this world. He passed the next evening. Uh, But the news broke the day after that. I was seriously upset, but very thankful that I spent uh, the time that I did with him. Great person. I would have never met him if I didn't work at AMC and force myself to watch movie talk. Grateful to you and all the talented people you've hired to share your space, past and present. Well, listen, Facility Guy, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, you know, Rob, looking back at that at that time, um, you know, it it was... It, it was hard for some of us because there, there were a few of us who knew going to San Diego, there were a few of us, Rob, who knew that John was never coming out of that hospital. And we, yeah. are, we already knew that not very, very few people knew, but we were a couple of the people who knew that uh, John was never going to be coming out of that hospital. And I remember you know, bumping into some people and maybe you were one of them facilities guy and, you know, asking about, you know, where's John and I hope he gets better soon and trying, trying to keep on the face that didn't say, you don't know this, but he's, he's not going to be coming out of the hospital. And and I remember yeah. that we were, you and I were actually doing our panel at Comic-Con. We were doing the, the masters of the web panel that I do every year. And it's when we finished the panel and we came down off the stage and we turned our phones back on and looked and we discovered that they had officially announced that John had passed away. And I think it was at that moment that we, you and I then sought each other out when, when that news came through. And I think it was that moment, like everybody who knew John and knew about the reality of the situation that he was in and that he wasn't going to recover, um, it, it all hit us, obviously, but when it became official and they've now announced to the world uh, that he was gone. And, and I remember you and I, you know, we, 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 uh, bumped, we, we got back together outside of the, the building where we did the, the panel. Um, and there was something very surreal about that. And the entire rest of the, there was just a cloud over the entire rest of the con, not just for us, but I think for everybody who knew, not just knew John personally, but knew uh, of him that followed him was a part of the Shweddy army. Um, the whole thing, it was, uh, it was a sad time. And while on the one hand, Rob, as I look back on it, you think, man, it really sucks that it had to happen during Comic-Con. Was there a better time? I mean, for, because I mean, from now on, we will always be commemor whenever Comic-Con happens we'll know to commemorate John Schnepp because, you know, he passed away during Comic-Con. And I, I think there's actually something rather poetic about it. I, I remember when it happened, I remember thinking, this is going to ruin Comic-Cons for me now for the rest of my life. But in hindsight, yeah. it's really, it's just a triumphant memorial to John Schnepp moving forward because there was nothing he loved more than Comic-Con and being amongst the fellow sweaties. But anyway, Rob, that day, talking to other people, you know, how do you remember it? Well, like you, I mean, we knew we knew what was happening. We knew the truth. We knew, you know, how sad it was. And obviously we had to keep the information to ourselves because honoring John's friends and family and those close to him. And it was it was hard because I, I, I don't think I could walk five feet without somebody coming up and asking me about him. And, you know, John became a really I had known him for years before we were doing Collider Heroes together. But, you know, he asked me to come on on episode six of AMC Heroes. And that's where I met you. Yep. 
I mean, that was six years ago, six years ago, back in April. And it, it literally changed my life. And if it wasn't for John Schnepp going, you know, Rob, you should start your own YouTube channel. I mean, he was the first person to tell me to do it. And, you know, he meant a, a lot to me. And one of the great things about John was if I, I went through a bit of a rough professional period during that time because, you know, various things were happening. And John going on to Heroes and seeing him at least once a week, if, if not other times outside of doing the show, just seeing him around L.A., he always put a smile on my face. He always made me feel better. And he was always there with an encouraging word. And he was always doing something interesting that I was following. I was helping him do his, his show that was based on the death of Superman lives. What happened? He was going to be doing an ongoing series about different movies. That was very exciting. And I, you know, there were times like he made a short film, uh, that he, I, I actually got shown at the masquerade at Comic-Con for him, like maybe, I don't know, eight or nine years before he passed away. And, like you, I mean, Comic-Con to me was John Schnepp. You know, it was, it was one of those, to me, he was sort of the unofficial king of Comic-Con in yeah. a way. I mean, there were other celebrities. I guess you could say someone like Kevin Smith was a king of Comic-Con too. But in my mind, John Schnepp was the king of Comic-Con and the king of all sweaties. And, uh, you know, I miss him almost every day because doing what we do, I think about various things. Like like the, watching the Shang-Chi trailer yesterday. I, I, the first thing that came to mind was I'm like, oh man, Schnepp would have loved this, you know, <laughs> and, and, and indeed, uh, watching Endgame without him was just not, I mean, not that you're not great, but not seeing it sitting next to him. I mean, he was, he was like sitting next to him during infinity war was one of the greatest movie going experiences of my life. Cause he was poking me and, you know, and they had the Hugo weaving sound alike. He's like, red skull. Like it was just, it was the best thing in the world. So, but like you, I have to say that. I will never go to a Comic-Con without thinking about John. And, and I think we do have, it's a, it's a memorial for him. And it, it stands as a testament that people to this day, they still call him the king of the sweaties. I think he's going to be the king of the sweaties forever. And I, I what a better way to be remembered than that. And I think if, that we're lucky to have known him and all he touched all of our lives who are, who are fans and sweaties. And I can't thank my lucky stars enough that I got to know him and work with him. And, you know, his reach went, beyond just us regular sweaties because i remember uh shortly after he died i got a message uh, ryan reynolds wrote to me uh just to send his condolences and and what you know that schnepp was amazing and stuff like that and I, I remember getting to go to holly and you know show her that message from ryan that ryan you know ryan reynolds was sending in messages i remember henry cavill uh made mention of, of the passing of schnepp as well and you got to see that the influence that he had wasn't just on us regular sweaties it was on yeah even the titan sweaties you know and that's the influence that he had and you know he was the best of us and there will never be you know uh, another john schnepp there will be many greats uh maybe even others greater than schnepp himself but there will never be somebody like him he's no you know uh, amongst all the souls I've encountered in the universe, his was the most sweaty and 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 and, and human at the same time. And uh, as we uh, get closer into you know with the pandemic now being a little bit on the run here in North America, fingers crossed, and we're starting to get back into the theaters and hopefully now getting back into the cons. 
uh, it'll be a, a good opportunity for us to memorialize uh, Schnepp again. Uh, by the way, while we were talking there, I just want to mention that DJ Taterskin sent in like a $50 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, DJ Taterskin, very much for that. And also, What Pisses Me Off sends in uh, a super chat badge in the live chat as well. So thank you for that, guys. And you know what? We were going to go about another 10 minutes. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have to cut today's show a little bit short because I have to go and get my last wisdom tooth pulled. Oh God, guys, I'm not looking forward to this uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, but we were going to go about another 10 minutes, but you know what, what, what more appropriate time for us to put pause on the show here today than on that one. So thanks for saying that in facility guy, but listen, there are still a lot more questions to come uh, from uh, Luis and Caleb and Alex and, and all we're do not worry. Uh, give me 24 hours to recover a little bit and I'll do a couple of companion videos this weekend and uh, we will get caught up on all of your questions that you guys have sent in. In the meantime, hey, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. Uh, awesome stuff as always. Where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, besides watching the Shang-Chi trailer over and over again, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And uh, guys, you, of course, can follow me on all the social media platforms, particularly Instagram and Twitter, simply at John Campia that you see right there. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things, please. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.